Welcome to Veterans Connected, where maintenance and reliability expert and military veteran Eric Bevavino connects with fellow veterans in industry during each episode, where they exchange their experiences and discuss the transition from the military to industry and the paths and resources that led them to where they are today. The Veterans Connected podcast is proudly produced by the industry's leading network and learning community, Mobius Connect. Eric, over to you. Hello, I'm Eric Bevino, host of the Mobius Connect podcast focused on connecting military veterans to the maintenance and reliability community. My aim here is to bridge the understanding gap between the military and civilian worlds, thereby improving the veteran transition journey and ultimately providing hope and a helping hand to any of our brothers and sisters out there struggling to find their way. We'll do this by interviewing veterans who have successfully made it through. For this session, we've chosen to interview one such Army veteran, Carl Sullivan, whose fantastic and patriotic story is a must-listen for anyone interested in joining us on this mission. Hey, Carl. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. Thank you as well. We're both coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky, where I met Carl through a, a co-worker who is also another veteran. Miss Shirley Mitchell, a Navy veteran. We haven't had her on the podcast yet, but we might might have to have her on. But uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us, Carl. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got here and a little bit of what you do today? Well, Eric, I am a 26-year employee of Lexmark International. I have my degree uh, master and bachelor's of electrical engineering. Whoa. And spent can't, can't probably, spell geek without a double E, right? That's right. <laughs> I spent about 24 years on the development side. And then recently in the last three years, moved over to marketing and have taken a product uh, marketing role, uh, product delivery marketing role. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Different than engineering, right? It's very different than engineering. And prior to that, I went to the University of Louisville. Hoorah. Um, Not that uh, blue school here (laughs) next to us here in Lexington. Uh, That's where I got my both my bachelor's and master's. And during that time when I was in college, I was also in the Kentucky Army National Guard. Well, actually, I started in high school. High school, okay. I started in high school. So if you can believe it, when I was 17 years old, a junior in high school, there was this uh, great program, it still goes on, called Governor Scholars. And a lot of my buddies, you know, I was in in the SPARK group. A lot of my buddies went to the Governor Scholars program their junior summer. I missed out. I didn't make it. Apparently, I wasn't smart enough. (laughs) So as a result, I was looking for something else to do my junior summer. And I ended up finding out that at the time, they would let you join the Kentucky Army National Guard when you were 17. If your parents would essentially sign you over. That was an interesting conversation with my mom. Mm -hmm. But... uh, Needless to say, I ended up, I joined, I was, uh, went through basic my junior summer of high school, came back, completed my senior year, and then went and did my MOS training uh, the summer of my senior year, which was 19 kilo tanker. Nice. 
Nice. And are you from Lexington originally or are you from somewhere else? I am not. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, okay. So the, you're from Louisville. That's why you thus, went to yeah. That's the U of L connection. I gotcha. I gotcha. The Cardinals, right? Absolutely. Well, interesting. So that's so yeah, I mean, even before what you know, typical enlistment would happen, you know, somebody coming out of high school, going to boot camp, whether it's in the army, the Navy, Marines, whatever. So this was even before you graduated from high school, you were, you were doing your MOS training. So that's cool. So tanker. So is that M1 Abrams? Is that what you were in? I'm sorry. My, my army stuff is not as as good as my Navy stuff, but yeah. Is that what you were posted in? was the M1A1 Abrams tank that I was a part of at that time. I, and my MOS training was actually after I graduated. It was my senior summer. Oh, right okay. Before, right yeah. before yeah. I went into college. I did basic uh, during my junior summer. An interesting side story on that is uh, it was actually a few days late coming back to my senior year of high school because basic training started a little bit late. And I remember it was either the vice principal or one of the counselors came up to me and said, uh, Carl, this is the best excuse I've ever had for anyone being late. And they showed me a letter <laughs> from the Department of Defense saying Private Sullivan's going to be a few days late. Please excuse him. It was a little longer and a little more verbose than that. But that's that was the point of the letter. No, that's that's awesome. So then you went to to Louisville for college, then for university, and then were you in a scholarship program then at at that point through through the army, or or how how did that all work? So because I was in the Kentucky Army National Guard, they paid me a certain amount uh, through uh, their uh, GSE program at the time. Okay. Uh, that I got every month for being in in college, uh, which greatly helped because, you know, I had a few scholarships, but nothing that was um, nothing that was as dramatic as my kids were getting today. And oh, by mm -hmm. the way, both of them got to go to GSP, so you know, I guess they're like I guess they get their smarts from their mom. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic! And so, uh, so where'd you go from there? So during my collegiate career, the, just about the entire time, I was studying electrical engineering and I was in the Kentucky Army National Guard on tanks. And, you know, I can tell you there were a, a lot of the weekend drills where in between whether it was live range fire or whatever we were doing, uh, I was, I would take every 15 minute break I got to pop out the physics book or the calculus book, sitting on top of a tank, studying equations and whatnot for a test that I had coming up on Monday. It always seemed like I had a test on a Monday after drill. Don't know why that was. So, but after, yeah, after, uh, after I graduated with my master's in electrical engineer, I was in college for five years, maybe a little less, did a co-op during that time. Um, by the time I got out of college, I was also out of the guard. And then I started directly out of college at Lexmark. Fantastic. So, 
So what were some of your influences when you were in, and why did you get into the, the national guard and, you know, what, what led you on that path? Well, that's an interesting question. And, uh, I've, I've got a good answer for it. <laughs> so grow, there, there's two, two main stories that I could probably tell around that, that affected my decision. One was growing up. I always remember there was this bifold picture on our mantle above the fireplace that had a picture of my father in his air force uniform and a picture of his dad, my grandfather, in his army uniform. My grandfather served during World War II in Korea, and my dad served during the Vietnam era, but did not have to go to Vietnam. As a kid, there was always a lot of stories that were told around that bifold picture frame. And I would ask questions, and, you know, it just gave me a sense of, of pride to know that I had this, you know, tradition two generations back. And I always, you know, inside of me thought maybe someday I would like to be in, uh, in the military. And then we, we touched on the other story, which was during my high school career, I didn't get into this program I wanted to go to. And so <laughs> those two things collided. And I said, I'm going to go into the military. And at no. the time, the thing that was available to me was the Army National Guard because I was 17. That's fantastic. It's amazing the impression that uh, having pictures in the house in an in a area of prominence where you can talk about it, it has an influence over, over folks. And it seems to have led you to a life of service beyond your military service, both in uh, Lexmark and then I understand you're involved with the honor flight to in here in Kentucky. Absolutely. So I'm a part of honor flight, Kentucky, uh, honor flight, Kentucky takes veterans to Washington, DC free of charge so that they can view their memorials. Uh, I've been on the board of Honor Flight Kentucky for a couple years. I've volunteered with them probably for four to five years. And this year was elected vice president of Honor Flight Kentucky. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I know that um, my friend who, one of my other friends, uh, Clark Smith, who is also on the podcast, it's the episode before you, here in the sequence. He's 73 as a Vietnam vet. He was helicopter crew chief. So he recently went on the honor flight and had a really, really good time. So I understand you guys, the honor flight pays for the flight and then uh, a companion perhaps to to go or or what do you call the, the companions? Like you were talking about so, that earlier. You go as a, so as we, a yeah. What, what we do is we pay for all the expenses of the veteran. And we'll get there early in the morning. We'll fly to DC. So the flight, the meals, the transportation, we fly back that evening. So all of the costs for the veteran, we cover it. For every veteran that goes, we also have a guardian. That a guardian, okay. With that yep. veteran. Yep. 
And we do ask that guardian to help cover some of their fees. We ask for $600 to help cover their fee. Uh, typically, you know, a guardian will be uh, a son, daughter, or someone else that we assign. On the flight that we had here, April, let's see, it was April 22nd this year. I, I was lucky. I got to be the guardian for a 95-year-old Korean war vet. Um, and it was nice. a great experience. It was a great experience. And if, if the folks out there are listening to this haven't ever been on an honor flight, you should go apply. You know, there are 144 hubs nationwide. There are two here in Kentucky. We talked about Honor Flight Kentucky. There's also one called Bluegrass Honor Flight. Um, I think since the inception, we've flown about 200,000 vets nationwide. Here within with Honor Flight Kentucky, we have over 500 veterans on the waiting list today. Oh, wow. Which is a lot, right? Because we typically do three flights a year. Okay. And on a given flight, we'll get about 65 veterans. The flight will hold about 150 people. But if you do the math, 65 veterans, 65 guardians. And then we take medical personnel and other personnel to help out throughout the day to make sure that, you know, that this is a day that is fun for the veteran one that they're going to recognize, one that they don't have to, you know, worry about where they're going, how they're going to get there. That's why we assign a guardian to every veteran to help them out, to, you know, carry stuff for them to some of these veterans are in wheelchairs to push them around, to be there just to talk to them, to hear what they have to say. It's, it's a great experience. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. And, you know, from the volunteer perspective that there are folks who are listening that want to be part of it in their individual States, does every state have like honor flight, Pennsylvania, honor flight, Indiana, Ohio, and that like Kentucky is that, and what's, is it honorflight.com? Is that what the, or.org? What's the uh, web address? Well, you can clearly, you can go and search for honor flight yep. uh, for your particular state. With 144 hubs, 50 states, I'm assuming there's probably one in each state, but I'm not 100% certain on that fact. Um, for our honor flight, it's honorflightky.org. You can go see our website. And interestingly enough, we actually have folks from as far as Texas that will come and participate in our honor flight uh, as guardians. Recently on this April flight, we had several members from the Dallas-Fort Worth Whiskey Club. They've been a longtime contributor to Honor Flight Kentucky, and they came up and served as uh, guardians on that flight, and they had a great time. They found it to be an amazing experience. Fantastic. So how do you go about becoming a volunteer? Do you just register on the site then? And Absolutely. Yeah, these folks have to be vetted. I. I would guess. So they're not uh, absolutely dangerous. You yeah. Go to, <laughs> you go to honorflightky.org. There's an application you can fill out to be a volunteer. And we'll take that through the process and then we'll call you at some point, say, hey, we've got you on a certain flight. And if and if you know someone that you want to be their guardian, you can specify that in the application. 
So this would be for, um, you know, sons and daughters and, and grandsons, granddaughters and stuff like that. Uh, go to go to D.C., go to the specific memorial for the war the veteran happened to be in or the time when they were in. And then what happens when they uh, they get back? This is a weekend thing, right? Like out on Friday or out on Saturday, back on Sunday. Is that how it goes? So we go out on a Saturday morning. We come okay. back on a Saturday evening. Ah, okay. Typically late in the day. So this is a one day affair. Gotcha. Early, early Saturday, late Saturday. When we get back, um, there is a huge welcome home ceremony that happens at Bluegrass Airport. I would say typically there's probably at least a thousand people there. Oh my gosh. And it's not a big airport. It's yeah. not a big airport. And if you're familiar with the airport, these folks will line up from just outside of security all the way down through baggage claim. And there's a band that comes in, you know, bagpiper and everything, drums. We will have essentially a parade that starts at security and goes all the way down to baggage claim. And if you can imagine sitting there as you're pushing a veteran down or you're the veteran and there are all these people cheering and saying thank you and holding signs, it's a pretty amazing experience. And especially if you think about our Vietnam vets, those folks weren't treated so well when they came home. They oftentimes will comment that this was the welcome home that they never felt they got. Mm. And important. I, I tell you, I would challenge you. It's hard to find a pair of dry eyes in that uh, crowd and with all those veterans, because this becomes such a touching event for them. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, it's something that everybody should know about. Um, I didn't know about it until I met you. So I'm grateful for that grateful to be a part of whatever I can be a part of and, and to help get the word out about Honor Flight here. I'm glad that uh, Clark was able to go and I look forward to being a guardian on a, on a future flight. So well, we, that's we look fantastic. forward to having you. So yeah, yeah, that'll be a special experience. So good. Anything else about the Honor Flight that you wanted to uh, say here, Carl, for the, the folks listening? Well, Obviously, if anyone wants to donate to Honor Flight, they can also do that at honorflightky.org. It costs us around $120,000 for every flight. So as you can imagine, it's, it's not cheap to do this. We are a, uh, a volunteer organization, and so we solicit donations in order to cover the money that we need in order to be able to do this great thing for our veterans to rec to recognize their sacrifice and their service. Right on, right on. And you also have events like the 5K they yeah, had here in Keeneland, which we participated in. It's been a while since I ran a 5K, but I was happy to say I made it with even uh, two artificial hips at the age of 56. <laughs> You did. Make My it. wife I made it too. I saw yeah. you make. I saw oh you yeah, make. yeah. See, we have we have evidence. Yeah, have and pictures. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was really nice. It was a great turnout, beautiful day. And um, yeah, so it was fun to get the Valvoline crew down there. And I think we had, I don't know, about 15, 15 to 20 people from, from Valvoline. So it's nice to, to be a part of that and, and to engage. So fantastic. It was well, great. great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is one of the, the key things I wanted to make sure we got out to the, the listening public here that uh, chooses to, to engage in this podcast. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about or have you give some tips and tricks or experience on is your role at Lexmark in the employee resource group, really the, the community group within Lexmark, because we're getting this started at Valvoline and you're, your advice has been really generous and helpful through the process. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what goes on at Lexmark in the Veterans ERG? So I think the first thing to talk about is that people refer to these with different names, right? Sure. That's the yep. first thing. Some folks like uh, some companies like Valvoline will call them employee resource groups. Others call them business resource groups, affinity groups. Here we call them diversity network groups. The intent, though, for everybody is the same. You're bringing together veterans into this group and non-veterans, people that care about, you know, veteran issues uh, and veteran needs, right? You're bringing those folks together into a group to go off and accomplish a mission. And so for us, I think the most important thing is, one, you got to define what that mission is. Here at Lexmark, we, when we established what we call it Valor, Veterans Association of Lexmark Organized for Recognition and Respect, you know, when you come up with a good uh, acronym, you got you to put something to it, right? <laughs> it's the military way right yeah for sure way that's right so so here our mission that we established was uh threefold one promote the value that vets bring to the workforce make sure that lexmark understands everything that we bring right because not everybody understands the value that veterans bring uh the second one was to recognize and honor the sacrifice and service of our veterans here at work, as well as the veterans within the community. Mm. And the third is really to provide development opportunities to all of our employees that build upon the leadership lessons that those of us who served learned through the military, right? Not everybody's able to serve, not everybody can. So as a veteran who has gone through the Kentucky Army National Guard and learned some leadership lessons for all of us that are veterans. I think we have a, a duty to, to give back, right? And help teach others those leadership lessons. Fantastic. Yeah, this has been a theme in the, the podcast as well that uh, regardless of the rank, that you exit the military when you transition to civilian life and you move into a corporation like Lexmark, there, there's leadership that you bring with you. Unless you just didn't do anything in the military, most people get 
at least a squad level responsibility, maybe two or three work center supervisor, we call them in the middle, in the Navy, sorry, where you have, uh, you know, a small unit, a small group, a small team to manage. And some people, if, if they were officers or even senior enlisted NCOs would have 30, 40, 50, 100 people that they'd be responsible for. And that's, that's really what I think America in general, but corporate America can can utilize needs to learn more from i see on on your shelf be behind you listeners aren't going to be able to see this because we're not going to show them what we that we're talking to each other on the video but i see marcus latrell's lone survivor up there you have uh guest speakers right that are not only for the veterans there at lexmark but for everybody right is that part of the theme absolutely things like bringing in guest speakers to talk about their leadership lessons or bringing someone in to talk about Veterans Day and what Veterans Day meant to them. We have a pretty big Veterans Day celebration here every year as part of that recognize and honor our vets part of the mission. And, you know, one of the past few years, we actually were able to record a conversation with Marcus Luttrell and have him talk about his experiences. Uh, sometimes, just, just like you're doing here, the best way to learn is to listen to what someone who's been in the military went through, what it taught them, what they learned, and, and how they carry that through their life. And it's no different with someone like Marcus, right? Although, you know, his experience was more severe than uh, yours or mine. He went through a lot more more trauma, uh, very different experience from what you and I had, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's all about the the storytelling and not not story in, in like uh, a fairy tale, like a story like this is a no shitter. This is how it went, right? I was <laughs> there. I was there. I was there. I was right. Absolutely. And and, and it tends to I, I believe it's sort of societal human behavior. It's just a tradition that if we don't continue to talk to each other, even digitally, which is okay, you know, we've met before over, over lunch and at the 5k and everything like that. So I know you, but the, these, these stories and, and face-to-face person, person over a beer, over a, a soda by the fire. I mean, this is really where the texture of, of life comes out and, and the, the traditions of the lessons learned get passed on. Uh, from person to person, if we can share that within our organization, I think you've done a wonderful job at Lexmark. You have other things going on, like I think, are you involved in SkillBridge or you know other some of that other type of uh, recruiting processes for military veterans? So we have a lot of different things that are going mm-hmm. on here at Lexmark. If you look at our Veteran Diversity Network group, we're doing. We participate with Quilts of Valor. Uh, They wrap veterans touched by war with a quilt. We we provide a printer service training program that is free to veterans to sign up and take. Mm. They're everything from donating something as simple as phone charging stations to the local VA hospitals here in Kentucky 
to uh, doing baskets for the United Way to raise funds for those that are in need, right? Did you tell me you designed that charging station? Is that do I remember that correctly, or or you were part of the team who who came up with it? Well, I don't know if you would call it designing or not. We went out and specified it and bought 12 to 13 of them and placed them uh, in the Louisville VA, the Lexington VA Hospital, several in those locations, and a couple in the USO um, spots in both the Northern Kentucky Airport and the Louisville Airport, I believe. Nice. Nice. Well, helping out wherever you can. Yeah. This is fantastic stuff. So what sort of advice would you have for anybody setting up a new uh, diversity network group, an ERG, the folks that are looking into that for their organizations? First, go into it with some humility. Realize it's not going to just blossom right away. It takes time. It takes effort. Anything worth doing is hard, usually. So it's going to take some effort. Be prepared to give that. I would say the second thing is make sure you have an executive sponsor within your company. That's important. You want everyone within the company to recognize this is an initiative that is supported at the higher levels and having that connection to an executive sponsor often helps you find funding to, to help do some things within the group. I think the third is again, make sure you establish a mission. What is it that you want to do? You don't have to just start out with, you know, five different things or even three things like I talked about. In the early days when we started this diversity network group here or, you know, business resource group, ERG, the main mission of it was to provide a Veterans Day celebration to thank the veterans that worked here. Mm. And that's really all it was initially. And over time, it grew to incorporate the other things, you know, going out into the community, volunteering, working with Honor Flight Kentucky like we do. Um, it'll grow over time, just like anything, if you if you nurture it and and let it right help it. Yeah, yeah, I I can I can relate. I I think starting small and sort of getting your feet under you. I mean, we're not nearly as far as you guys are on our path, but we we went all in on community events in the first, I don't know, four to five months. And it seemed like every weekend we were doing something. It was the the Honor Flight 5K. And then we did the Fourth of July parade. And then we and we have really solid both executive sponsorship but the HR sponsorship that that we've got has been quite helpful in in pushing us along and then we we quickly became over leveraged on sort of community interaction and and really didn't have it like the individual functions set up so people could do this or that or the other whatever they were most interested in and for the the folks sort of starting out the group it 
it started to feel a little heavy, like, oh, you're, you know, I'm getting yeah. over my skis here a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to really be careful about that, right? Because it's easy to do too much and not do it very well. Mm. You're much better off taking smaller bites, smaller chunks, and having a bigger impact. At least that's my view. And the other piece of advice maybe is that I would give is as, as people come into the fold, right? And again, for us, our veteran diversity network group is made up of not only just veterans, it's veterans, it's spouses, it's friends, it's family, it's anybody that wants to be a part of the group. You look to those folks that join to say, well, what is it that you're passionate about? What would you like to see us do? And if the ideas they come up with uh, fit within your mission, go with it, right? If, if you can find the ability to carry that out, do it, right? Allow people to bring ideas to the group. Allow people to go and run uh, activities because that goes back to also learning uh, the leadership lessons that we got, right? Right, right, right. You, yep. You really, as a... ERG, BRG, DNG, you you become an avenue to allow people to take on leadership roles that they may not get in their daily job. That a great example, the uh, the phone charging station. There was another individual within the company that kind of took that and led it. He got to go present it to our executive sponsor and he got to talk to a lot of people about it. Right. So it's something he got to go run. And it, I think that's you know. key, right. Within any of these groups is providing that development opportunity to do something different. That's not in their normal day job. We're done. You can't break anything for sure. Right. This is inclusivity. This is, you know, ideas, leadership opportunities for folks that may may never get looked at for a leadership opportunity or or have some capabilities and are just sort of unnoticed, either because they're quiet or introverted or or you know, they just, you know, don't have a leadership structure that that can can pull it out of them perhaps. So that's it's a nice opportunity. I was really kind of surprised, though I probably shouldn't have been about the the inclusiveness that that you advocate now i've heard of this from other ergs and we're doing it at bowling too it's like you said not just veterans but interested patriots that want to help and that just re really resonates with the theme of the camaraderie and the support the duty and the and the honor and the opportunity to lead so so thank you for that i think that's for anybody who's thinking about doing this or has um, aspirations of leading such a group, I think that's a that's a key learning. So, and thank you for for your help on getting this going. We're, we're like I said, we're in the fledging stages. Veterans Day is coming up here in IG. It's a month and a half, I guess, probably almost two months, and um, and we're ahead of it for one. So we think we're gonna. That's, that's great. That's pretty great. good yeah, guest speaker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Look, I'm happy to help. I, I like to see other companies doing this kind of thing. It's, it's great. It's great for your employees. It's great for your veterans. And, and, you know, 
it helps drive conversations between folks too that may have never had a conversation, right? As you bring people together. Right on, right on. And and it's a sense of community, right? Which is- It is. With more and more digital stuff coming out, we see we tend to sort of lose some of that community, but uh, but yeah, that's that's fantastic. Also, so what else? But did we forget anything on the um, the veterans group or the honor flight or, or anything else that you wanted? To, how about uh, how about this? This is a common question that I ask folks. What would you recommend to veterans who are transitioning out of the service right now? Uh, in their in their search for their next phase in life what what sort of thoughts would you have you know that's 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 a difficult question for me because my transition was very different from most folks coming out of the service okay i was going through college and kind of had this natural transition where when i was ending my college career my you know, National Guard career ended as well. And I transitioned, you know, cut normally into a job like you would do out of, out of college. Yep. But I think if there was one piece of advice that I would give people, you know, make sure you find something that you can be passionate about mm. and that you can enjoy. If you look at my career in the military, I was a tanker. And that skill set doesn't translate well to the civilian world, right? Where where do you get to go? Not really well. Yeah. Fire a 120 millimeter round uh, once you get out. You don't. But, you know, I enjoy doing that in the National Guard. And I came to the job I'm in now because I believed that I would enjoy doing the engineering work that I was going to get to do. And after years of doing that, you know, I transitioned over to a completely, totally different role, which was at the time I didn't, I didn't realize it, but it was, it was really a career change within the company that I made, but I did it because I thought I would enjoy doing it. And that has served me very well. And I think, I think too often people get caught up in doing something because they think they need to, or they think they're being told to go do it. And if it's not what you enjoy, I'm telling you, it's just, it's just not worth it. Right. You need to, you need to be able to have some fun. Yeah. Two years and out, which is, Hey, I need a job. I don't care where it is. I just need to start putting money on the, on the, in the bank, food on the table. Don't settle. I mean, it's easier said than done, I, I suspect, it is, but yeah. it's easier said than done, granted. But if you can find something that brings you some joy, that is the way to go. Be be curious too, probably because I mean there there aren't a lot of things that translate directly over to being an, uh, an army tanker for sure in the civilian world, but the leadership in the organization. Yeah, go ahead. The leadership does, right? And that's the one common trait that all vets really come out of their military service with is that fundamental leadership set of skills, set of soft skills Mm. that not everybody, not everybody has, right? Just being trained to wake up and get somewhere early 
uh, isn't necessarily something that everyone has, right? And the military really beats that into you that if you're not there five minutes early, you're late. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. And we have uh, we've heard that that's a that's a theme. That's soft skills. Right? It just when you were you relating that, it made me think of like, gee, leadership is the number one job for most military folks. Yeah, you need to know how to shoot or you need to know how to dive in my case or you need to know how to drive a ship or load a tank all that type of stuff. But really what you need to know in the military is how to lead. So that's, that's something that uh, most of the veterans come out with. So what would you, what advice would you give to uh, recruiters like civilian recruiters or folks at Lexmark that were trying to find military members or trying to make the linkage between the civilian and military world? What would you tell corporate folks who don't know anything about the military to uh, consider about veterans uh, when they're well, doing their search. One of the great things about veterans, when you think about us as a group, is we are the most diverse group out there of any mm. of any group that you can come up with. Right? If you look at veterans and you go hire veterans, you've already hired diversity into your workforce because we make up every group that you can think of here within the United States. So veterans not only bring those soft skill leadership abilities, but they also bring, you know, a diverse set of thoughts, you know, and people with them. So well, we're a great we're a that's great a great point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic point, right? Because in the service, I mean, it's diverse, right? There are people from every walk of life, every economic strata, every race, every religion, every orientation, and it's absolutely it's it's quite diverse. So not only not only leadership qualities, good habits, perhaps, uh, but also a diverse crew, and um, perhaps even people who are taught to learn and maybe look for the next level and you know they're a little bit used to that but that's uh that's good advice well carl this has been a wonderful time talking to you i really appreciate it uh as, i appreciate you having me on so thank yeah you. yeah yeah without a doubt so if people want to reach you and ask you about any of the stuff that we've talked about today your experience on our flight the resource groups, the business resource, the diversity groups, can they catch on LinkedIn? Is that where you're? Absolutely. I'm on available? LinkedIn. You can find me, Carl Sullivan. You can look me up. Um, I think I'm the only Carl Sullivan that works at Lexmark and is on the board of Honor Flight Kentucky. So I'm pretty easy to find that way. Uh, alternately, you can reach me at carl.sullivan at honorflightky.org. All right. Fantastic. So listeners out there, if you have a question you want to uh, ask Carl, he I can tell you he's pretty he's pretty available. At least he has been to me. I think most veterans trying to help other veterans are 
are quite available. So I appreciate that. And, uh, and I appreciate your time here. Quick note to our listeners that uh, we're also seeking though, though Carl is not a female veteran, we are looking for <laughs> more female veterans to talk to. We've gotten one so far. Maybe we'll ask Shirley to be on the call as well. We'll absolutely ask Shirley to be uh, on the call and recently transitions vets to round out our guest list. So thank you, Carl. And thank you to Mobius for providing this platform to help both transitioning vets as well as those looking to hire them in the field of maintenance and reliability. Have a great night, Carl. We wish you all the best and we appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Veterans Connected. We will see you back for another episode very soon. In between, we hope to see you in the Veterans Connected community group where you can meet Eric and fellow podcast guests and share with other industry veterans at mobiusconnect.com. And we hope to see you there.